This morning, we begin a three-week detour from 1 Corinthians. Today, I'm going to take us through Psalm 90. So if you'd like to turn there now, Psalm 90. This psalm is the first psalm in book four of the psalms. And then for the last two Sundays of this month, Blake will be preaching a short series on several key aspects of Jesus' earthly coming. The Psalms are made up of five books, each one corresponding to one of the books in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. So book one of Psalms is made up of Psalm 1 through 41 and corresponds with the book of Genesis, which of course is an introduction to human life and and a revelation of the needs of the human heart. In other words, that's a foundational book. Book 2 of Psalms is made up of Psalm 42 through 72 and corresponds to Exodus which is the story of God's moving in human history to change and redeem people and save them from themselves. Book 3 of Psalms is made up of Psalm 73 through 89 and corresponds to Leviticus, your favorite book, which is the story of how the people of Israel learned to draw near to God and to worship him through the provision God made of the tabernacle. Book 4 of Psalms is made up of Psalm 90 through 106 and corresponds to Numbers, which is the story of Israel's wilderness wandering, testing, and failures. Book 5 of Psalms is made up of Psalm 107 through 150 and corresponds to Deuteronomy, known as the second law, and describes the way by which God finally accomplishes the redemption and sanctification of his people. Out of all 150 psalms, the only one written by Moses is this one, Psalm 90. Each psalm, of course, is poetic, and this one is a prayer we read in the title of the man of God, which is a technical term for one who spoke for God. As just mentioned, Psalm 90 is in book four of Psalms, which corresponds to numbers about the wanderings and testings and failures of God's people in the wilderness. The numbers title comes from the two censuses that were taken of the people God delivered from Egypt. But the Hebrew title of this book is In the Wilderness, which fits the story much better. The ESV book description before the actual book starts of this book is Numbers tells how God's people traveled from Mount Sinai, where the law was given, to the border of the promised land, and when the people refused to take possession of the land, God then made them wander in the wilderness for nearly 40 years. Throughout the book of Numbers, God is seen as a holy God who cannot permit disobedience, but also as the one who faithfully keeps his covenant and patiently provides for the needs of his people. The book of Numbers ends with a new generation preparing for the conquest of Canaan. So making this connection to the book of Numbers helps us figure out Psalm 90's historical setting, which is very important. When Moses wrote this psalm, He was in a time of life in which he was having to deal with three sad events that are all recorded in Numbers chapter 20. First was the death of his sister Miriam, 
Second, his own sin in striking that rock in the wilderness, which kept him from entering the promised land. And third, the death of his brother Aaron. Miriam's death must have been very hard for Moses. She had been the leading female. After her death and burial, Moses himself disobeyed the Lord by striking the rock, which brought water. Instead of following God's instructions to tell the rock to yield its water, all this while the people were clamoring for the provision of water, thinking that they were going to dry up and die. And they were rising up against Moses and quarreling literally about everything. The Lord said to Moses, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Moses was about 120 years old at that time. For 38 years, he had looked forward to the conquest of Canaan, which could have happened, if you know your Old Testament, about four decades earlier, but the people had refused. Moses still was patient afterward, but it looks like his patience then broke and he hauled off and struck the rock instead of following God's instructions. We usually react to this account by commiserating with Moses and thinking God to be unkind. But this was a sad failure on Moses' part. And God took it seriously. You know what? God always takes sin seriously. With God, no sin is unimportant. Then that third sad event, Aaron's death was actually connected to the judgment upon Moses concerning the rock. Aaron got to see his son succeed him as high priest, thus the establishment of a priestly dynasty through Aaron. But when Aaron died, the people mourned literally for a whole month. Amazingly, while these sad events are reflected in Psalm 90, Moses does not come across as bitter or defeated. Instead, he recognizes the pain and uses plain, realistic, and most importantly, wise truths about life here in this psalm. This is an incredible psalm, any time of the year. And what are those incredible truths about life that we all need to know? This is not an age factor. You do not have to go through life and learn everything the hard way. And so Moses talks about that in this psalm. The two most important truths about life that we may know in our head, but we come to know through experience is that, are that human beings are first frail and sinful, in case you haven't noticed, whether you have one of these or not. We are frail and we are all sinful. Secondly, we see that Moses says that he needs the eternal God as his only possible hope and dwelling place. One of the greatest hymns ever was born out of an understanding of this psalm. Isaac Watts wrote, Our God, our help, 
in ages past, and it's number 30. If you want to take a look, nobody's reaching. Take a look. There's only seven verses. Okay, I'm laying it on you. I will sing by myself all seven verses unless you take a look. <clears throat> now, for some reason, those of you know how unmusical I am, I can look at this and the tune comes back from growing up in a church which sang this song often. And I can come pretty close to hitting it. But listen to the words of this, and then when I read the psalm, I want you to notice it comes from this psalm we're reading. Our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Now, look at those words, not through your lens, but through Moses's, if you can. 120 years old, called to lead God's people out of slavery, got through the Red Sea, Mount Sinai, but they went to the border and the people refused to go in because the people were large and terrific fighters. So then they wandered in the wilderness for 38 more years, griping, rebelling. See how it fits? Do you know how it goes? Our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. We may end with verse 7 at the, at the closing. That's if this is working. It's an incredible account. If you're able, would you please stand as I read Psalm 90. Be reading from the English Standard Version. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us 
and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May be seated. Now, if you go look at every commentary on the Psalms that's ever been written in history, usually they either have three or four divisions. The middle part is either one part or it can be divided in two. So let's say we can divide it in four sections. First two verses praise God's eternal grandeur. And then in verses three through six, we see man's frailty. And then in 7 through 12, we see man's sin and God's wrath. And then at the end, we see man's need of God's grace and mercy and wanting his work to be established. Several commentators point out that this psalm is probably the greatest passage in the Bible contrasting the grandeur of God with man's frailty. It's a reflection on human mortality and the brevity of life, plus the quiet confidence in God who is the steadfast hope of the righteous. So first, we see praising God's eternal grandeur in Moses' prayer. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Some of your translations use another word. What is it? Refuge, although it's not always the word used for refuge. So many probably get this dwelling place. Your dwelling place is your what? Your home. That says it a lot better. Lord, you have been our home in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You are our dwelling place. In the New American, I mean the New International Version, verse 2, it reads, Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Can you think of any other biblical character who had a stronger sense of the greatness and eternal majesty of God than Moses? Think. There might be a few, but it's a really, really small number. a strong sense of the greatness and eternal majesty of God. Why? Well, just think. How old was he when he was called by God? And then he went before Pharaoh. And he didn't even want to speak. And then the plagues were administered by God. And then the God parted the Red Sea. And then this mountain that they went to shone with the glory of God. And he went up on the mountain, the only one allowed. And in the presence of God, he reflected it when he came down. Ten commandments, etc., etc., etc. All of our lives look boring compared to the experiences that Moses had. He had to be so aware, probably much more so than any of us, of the uncertainty of life and its lack of permanence. Yet he was also keenly aware of not only God's existence, but that God is the one foundation for everything. So, what did he learn? If you're anchored in God, you are eternally secure. If you trust in God, you have a secure 
dwelling place or refuge or home. He is our refuge. A believer can live each moment of each day knowing that the God who eternally existed before he ever created everything, he himself is our eternal home or refuge. So then Moses goes into describing man's frailty. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with the flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the mornings. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Here we see several pictures that illustrate just how fast and fleeting our time is on this earth. None of which will help our stubborn young adults in this room. No matter how humble you are, you just don't get this until you have to start experiencing it. Unless it happens all around you, and then you will. The point of verse 4 for a thousand years in your sight, or but yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night, the point of that is not that time passes quickly for God, but that time passes so quickly for us. I thought about having a panel discussion with everybody over 60 coming up in the front and answering questions for five or ten minutes. You know one thing that we all have in common? You find out. Those decades that used to seem like forever and were full of energy and activity and clear thinking and trips and everything else in the world come to a screeching, screeching halt as far as how much is possible. In the arid Near East... I mean, Middle East, uh, night rain will often cause a carpet of grass to spring up in the morning where it was nothing or but brown. So, if that happens at night, you wake up and there's green things. But the blazing sun during the day will then scorch it by nightfall. The other pictures here are of a powerful flood sweeping us away or a dream that seems so real while you're sleeping, but when, when you wake up, it's gone, it's fleeting, you can hardly remember. These are powerful images, are they not? Moses is saying that our lives are like that, which points to man's frailty in being able to control the length of, this, length of his life. Or the lasting strength of life we fought so hard to preserve. This is nothing new. What is Florida famous for? Ponce de Leon was looking for the fountain of youth. Everybody has been looking for the fountain of youth. Our culture is obsessed with looking for the fountain of youth. That's not necessarily bad. It's good to take care of yourself. Be a good steward of the body that God has given you and also your life. But it can't come without acknowledging that, man, this is, this is going pretty quick. And Moses knows this is why he's writing. You know, we are frail too. The, the lasting strength of life that we fight so hard to preserve. Every one of us, you've been witnessing mine, which looks pale compared to some other people in this room. True? Moses knows this, that our time on earth is really a lot more shorter, a lot shorter than we can even imagine. And that however long we live, the same end is there for all of us. What we accomplish will eventually 
as hard as this is to swallow, be forgotten by literally everybody. Which is why people that love history try and work very hard to compile, save in ways and reforms that could last a little while, but still, after a couple hundred years, only God does not forget. Only what we do for him will remain as an everlasting accomplishment. Then Moses answers the question of really why all this is true. Man's sin and God's holy wrath. He writes, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Is frailty our greatest problem? It's not. The world we live in seems to think so, which is why so much of every society's energy and resources are devoted to not just trying to survive, but also to establish and to flourish and to be powerful enough to stay relevant and respected and proud of itself. That's world history in a nutshell, right there. As believers, we know that our greatest problem is not just the frailty of existing for a brief period of time and then dying. We also know that every person is a sinner and is subject to the deserved wrath of God, our Creator. In fact, it is sin that is the cause of every person's death and misery. We talk about that in terms of doctrine and theology, but it takes experiencing life to where it really hits home, does it not? Moses has traced man's mortality to its roots, seeing death as a judgment for sin. In other words, Moses is trying to show that death is linked to sin and is caused by it. We die because Adam sinned and because we sin ourselves. Are you aware that sin always leads to death? Yeah, yeah, but I don't want to think about it. We all say that. Well, it's not just physical death, is it? Sin also leads to the death of dreams, of hopes, of plans, and relationships, and health, and eventually even to that ultimate spiritual death that is a separation from God forever. Unless you know his son. If you're really aware of this truth and live in light of this, there'll be something that people see in your life and that you will know is true in your heart. And that is very simply that you will not treat sin lightly, as so many do. Your prayers will sound a lot like David's in Psalm 19, verses 12 and the first part of 13. I'll read this from the Christian Standard Bible. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. 
Do not let them rule me. The question is, do you pray that prayer? Can you pray that prayer? Or how about this? Do you want to pray that prayer? He ends by giving a picture of man's need of God's grace and mercy in verses 13 through 17. In other words, this is an appeal to God for an outpouring of his grace. This is logical. If you know that man is frail and he's sinful, which leads to death and every other misery that we experience on the planet Earth, And if you know him, then you cry out for God's grace and mercy. Moses ends his prayer then with this outpouring of his cries for God's grace. And what he's saying is that we want to be satisfied with God himself not the trappings of life, but with God himself. And that our work may endure as something of lasting value, even though we ourselves quickly pass away. Most of us know, as we grow up and we realize we need to work for a living, that it must be important, not just to make it. But you soon have a deep desire that it will mean something. And even more than that, that it'll last. Do you hear that in Moses' cry here? How does this go together? God has given us the task of work to do it for him. Ultimately, so he says, Lord, how long? What's that about? How long? How old was Moses? It's about 120. Anybody? Oh, I'm not going to call names, but there's lots or several of us in here that are going, God, how long? especially if there's pain and suffering along with it. Turn and have compassion on your servants, he writes. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you've humbled us for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish us for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. You know, if you just pick this up and read it and you don't know who wrote it or what situation we're in, it doesn't hit anything as much as knowing who wrote it and where he was in his life and what God had already done with him. Then it hits, or it should. There are three general petitions here that kind of cover the other ones. Moses really started this appeal in verse 12, right before this last section, where he says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Someday, I wish, I wish I'd done a lot of things, but I wish we could take a survey and ask when every Christian in here first heard that and who told it to you or if you just read it on your own when you were younger. How do you number your days? What does that mean? Well, we want to find that out here. This is a request for God to work in us to live holy lives. It's what it is which is evidence of true wisdom 
Because you're not asking this if you're a fool. How are we supposed to make each day count for God? If you're hoping for a magic formula, I don't have it. What we do have is God's word that gives two simple things that we all know, but we ignore much of the time. How are we supposed to make each day count for God? You know what? What has Moses done? First, by recognizing the brevity of it, which means you don't take it for granted. You don't always have the next day. I guess it'd be this way. The next day, the next day, the next day. You don't have the next year. You don't necessarily have the next 5, 10, 20, 30. So that did our generation, generations would say, good, we know that. That's why we're trying to cram it all into the one now. That's not what he's saying at all. The second thing that we need to do is intentionally living each day for God and his glory. Which, if you do that, will cut out a lot of the other stuff that maybe doesn't matter or is not important right now. It doesn't mean you become so somber that your face looks like it's never smiled in your whole life. God created beauty. He created much to enjoy. But whether we're thankful to God for those things or just going after those things to make ourselves feel better is a whole different ballgame. Now, someone has said that even for mathematicians, the hardest mathematical discipline ever is to number our days. There are so many engineers in this room. It's scary. And if you're on the nerd end of engineer, seeing people, all of a sudden notebooks start coming out of the kazoo and you're trying to number and figure it out and make a linear progression, more power to you. Most of us aren't even wired that way. We count everything else, literally, But so frequently, we don't seem to use our days wisely. We set our goals in stone and we get upset when God orders something else for our particular day. Which usually happens every day. So recognizing man's plight here, Moses cries out in verse 13, Lord, how long turn and have compassion on your servants. Verse 14 is the second general petition. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. How many 120-year-old people that you know, which probably nobody knows one, pray that. Or that do wake up in the morning so that they may shout in praise of God for the joy that he brings in their day. This, is, this verse is amazing to me. You either wake up one of two ways, right? You wake up with your list, and we all need caffeine before we can even read it. And then we look, and we're already behind. So we drive 100 miles an hour, two miles away to get to work, and we're already itchy. And the first person that, that we face, wherever we are, gets on our wrong side, and we let them have it. And then we realize we just blew it. We go to the bathroom, which is away from everybody else, and we confess and repent. And then we go back in. The day goes on and on and on. Four more piles on your desk. 
three more things to do, telephone calls that you hate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all of our days. God knows before he created us what the rest of today will be like. And we can either go after it acknowledging him and his purposes even if we don't understand it treating people with respect gutting it up trying to finish that project and if you can't trust him with it even if you can't sleep do you realize how much of our time is spent wound up now there are some people that need to need to be wound up we all know that. They would just prefer to be not wound up at all 24-7. That's not what we're talking about. There's a big spectrum here. You know, this appeal comes from someone who knows from his many years of living in light of God's faithfulness that nothing will satisfy the human heart ultimately except God. Can you imagine being in a desert literally a desert for 40 years with the same people. And you know, they started out with a million. How does that work? And you're the guy. Remember, Moses had to ask for advice on how to help with all the gripes and situations and conflicts and everything. And he's saying, nothing will satisfy the human heart except God himself. Not the water that came out of the rock. That must have been really cool, God provider. The manna that came from heaven the clan that finally reconciled with that clan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 38 years. Where were you 38 years ago? Only half of you can answer that. It's a long time. So with the perspective that Moses lays out here, you will realize the futility of trying to fill your life with mere things They'll perish. And one of the things you find out if you go down that road is it takes more time to take care of the things you want that you're sending your life around than it does to enjoy them. This is also true of putting your hope in other people. This one hurts because other people will never meet all your expectations. And they will also die. So we can't make another person our God either. Augustine prayed a lot of great prayers, and a lot of them are written. This one's one of the best. You made us for yourself, and our hearts find no peace unless they find rest in you. There's an old saint who said something short. The third general petition is in verse 17. We see here the culmination of someone nearing the end of his life who has led his life learning to depend upon and trust Almighty God. You know, I always wonder at this time, Moses thinks back right before or at in that time period of his life where God called him when he killed that Egyptian guy. Does that go away? No, but God's forgiveness, obviously, for him, he knew it, but it's still part of his history. Let the favor of our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. 
So as Moses truly saw before him his weakness and his frailty and his sin, he ends his prayer by asking for God's grace and making what he had been trying to do for God worthwhile. Y'all there yet? When did, if you're an adult, because I don't think you get this working jobs in high school, but when you become an adult, isn't one of the first things that gets to your heart is you want it to be worth something. You want it to be worthwhile. Doing something for a reason. And the, the interesting thing about this is that God does not need anything from us. He's able to raise up children, Jesus says, from rocks. Not That's no cut on us, but that's just showing God's power. He doesn't need anything from us. He didn't create us because he needs us. But if God has put in us in this life to do something good for him, then it's important that we do it and do it well, whatever it is, whatever stage of life you're in. And we, we can know that he requires something of us. So you've got to find out what that is and do it, and that may change every other year in your life. And while we do it, we pray that God may establish it so that it may bless those who come after us and glorify God through it all. We're all gifted differently, true? I appreciate people who have gifts that I don't have that can do things like fix stuff where it works. And I'm willing to pay people to do that because it's worthwhile. I, I think jobs where you get to see an end result instead of being this little part and you never see where it goes after that, that would be really hard. And there's a lot of people that are in this kind of part and you never get to see the end result of it. How do they look at their work as worthwhile, knowing that they're a part and that this is, this is going down this road and it'll, something will happen at the end that you had a part in doing. And if you never hear what that is or know what that is, that's hard. Even God can make that purposeful as he shows us that we work for him because in this are other people involved with this and how those people are treated and respected along that path and how you perform in order to turn them to go, why did you do that like that when you could have just done this and nobody would have known? All those issues are important to our Lord. I see pictures of 1800s of men going back and forth from coal mines and a lot of those people were this high because they were kids. And you just look at their face. You can't see their faces because they're totally black, blackened from all the coal. And you wonder, how did they get up every morning, walk the same steps, go down the same shaft, beat on the same earth, and come back up and go home every day for decades? I think Christians are the only people alive who have ever had an answer to that question. So do you want to find out what that is and do it? And while you do it, pray that God may establish it so that you may bless those who come after us and glorify God through it all. Do you want that? Do you want your life here and what you do here to have meaning do you want to be a blessing to others? The only way that can happen is if God establishes your work. May he do that in every one of you today for his glory so that others who come after you will be blessed because of how God used you. And when you die and appear before God the Father, you will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful, get this, over a little 
I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Jesus said that twice over different amounts of talents. That's important to know. Every person's work is important, no matter how much it may be or how much comes from it. You want to be God's good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, in ages past, we come before you. We pray for a perspective that goes beyond our years to, to deal with reality that we do have a brief time on this earth and it's a blessing to be alive, to know you see the beauty of your work and your hands and your work and people, and we pray that we would invest wisely, that we could live day to day, trusting you, getting to know you, living for you in whatever you've called us to do or be. It's a simple prayer, God, but we want to keep it simple because it's so hard and difficult for us to think this way most of the time. Thank you for this psalm and your people who have been singing it for ages. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand for our benediction? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with y'all. You're dismissed, but not really. Hope y'all can stay. It's going to be a great celebration in a few minutes. <laughs>